Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. To obtain a typed outline of today's message, you can go to the show notes or details. Our life feels like a journey sometimes, and sometimes that journey is difficult and hard. Other times, the journey is blissful and sweet. The Psalms come from different authors from many different journeys that can be applicable to us in many different circumstances that we find ourselves in. Today, Tom will unpack why we need the Psalms in those journeys. And now, here's Tom Claiborne with the first message, Words for the Journey, in a new series called Praise and Peace in a Broken World. Today is a, it's kind of an introductory message. I'm simply calling Words for the Journey, and I guess the subtitle is Why We Need the Psalms. Several years ago, some of you uh, remember back a little ways, uh, one cell phone company ran a series of commercials in which a guy would be seen in very bizarre places asking if he could still be heard. You know, can you hear me now? Good. You know, he'd, he'd show up someplace else. And next, next series of commercials, he'd be someplace else. And, and it was cute and all that. Well, I wonder if a lot of the time God asks us that question. Can you hear me now? Are you listening to me at all? Can you hear me? And in every part of the Bible, God asks, did you hear this part? And did you hear this part? But no part of the Bible covers more subjects and reveals more raw emotions than the book of Psalms. It's the longest book of the Bible. It includes the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. It is a book of poetry, a book of prayers, a book of songs written about 3,000 years ago. And literally the psalm, the word psalm, is from the Greek word psalmos, which literally means a poem to be sung to a stringed instrument. So we already did that this morning, we sang to a stringed instrument. (laughs) Today we officially begin a series of messages from this amazing, passionate book. Last Sunday, we kind of got ahead because I wanted to address that subject from Psalm chapter 2. But today is kind of the foundation for the rest of the series. And this message is intended to simply introduce some of the absolute treasures of the book of Psalms and to prepare us to get the most out of the next couple months. Now, Psalms is one of the easiest books in the Bible to relate to because it is very heartfelt and very expressive, and it covers so, so, so many subjects. In the Psalms, there is confusion, and there is confession. There is crisis, and there is calm. There is trust, and there's turmoil. There is depression, and there's celebration. There are history lessons, and there are words of prophecy. There are angels and there are animals. There is passion and there is plotting. And the backdrop for most most of the book is conflict and war, as well as cultural and personal turmoil. Does any of that sound familiar? In short, we are guided 
by the Psalms toward praise and peace in a broken world, which is the title of this series. Praise and peace in a broken world. At a time in America when we hear so many angry, conflicting voices, and when some of those are even trying to control which voices are allowed to be heard, we need the clear voice of the Lord. We need the Psalms. So today, we are going to examine four absolutely essential blessings of reading and learning the Psalms. Now, obviously... These four things are going to be true of other parts of the Bible. But in the Psalms, we experience those things through the eyes and hearts and emotions of people who are flawed, just like every one of us. And to me, that's what makes the Psalms so powerful. The Holy Spirit recorded it down for us, but people like us wrote the words. Here's the first thing I want us to notice about this Incredible book. The Psalms help us know God. The Psalms help us know God. J.I. Packer said that this, knowing God, was the very reason we are created. All the Bible reveals God to us, but in this book, the descriptions are so much more vivid than most of the other books except maybe Revelation. Because in the Psalms, it tells us who God is. First of all, who God is. Psalm 47 is on the front of your bulletin this morning. Verses 6 through 8 say this. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to Him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on His holy throne. That's what we saw over and over last Sunday in Psalm chapter 2. But if you'll flip back to Psalm 18. In Psalm 18... I want you to know it's just two verses, how many different ways God is described. Psalm 18 begins, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Two verses. Now I want you to notice all the things God is called in those two verses. He's called Lord my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, refuge, my shield, horn of salvation, which was a symbol of power, and my stronghold. And elsewhere in the Psalms, we see God addressed as redeemer, or shepherd, or judge, or the great king, or the maker of heaven and earth, and so much more. Do you realize what a huge help those descriptions are for our prayer life? I mean, if you and I begin our prayer with even four or five of those descriptions of God, it prepares us to pray with confidence and hope. Because we know He is our salvation. He is our rock. He is our God. He is the great King. But these vivid descriptions also help us remember who is there to empower us in the trials and craziness of life. If you look at the opening, the heading, right before Psalm 18 starts, my Bible says Psalm 18, and then it says this, for the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord. And then it says this, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies 
and from the hand of Saul. Saul was the one trying to kill him. So this psalm is saying David had enemies when he wrote this. David had people trying to kill him. So God wants you and me to read Psalm 18 and say to ourselves, Wow! That's the God who's ready to come to me in my time of terror and my time of confusion and my time of questioning. And then down to verse 28 and 29, we see the kind of things we can say to God when we realize who He is and that He is there. Because there David says, You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With Your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God... I can scale a wall. You see, David could say those things because in the opening verses he acknowledges all that God is. And that enables him to pray with confidence. So God says to you and me in the Psalms, can you hear me now? Can you see me? Can you see who I am? But the Psalms also help us understand God because it teaches us and shows us what He does, not just what He is. Now I realize these two are tied together, but God is a, an ever-active, moving God. God demonstrates His power. I want to draw a contrast with you. Psalm 68. Turn over to Psalm 68. In verses 32 to 35... We see a picture of God's power, all right? It says this, Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord, to Him who rides the ancient skies above. I love that image. Who thunders with mighty voice. Proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to His people. Now, I want you to contrast that image in Psalm 68 with another one in Psalm 115. So here's, here's what I'm saying about turning quickly. Psalm 115, total opposite image. In Psalm, 18, or Psalm 115, the psalmist is picturing what's the opposite of God. Idols, other things that people worship. So Psalm 115 draws the contrast to this powerful, active God who's moving and working. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. You see the contrast that's being drawn here. Psalm 68 pictures a God of power who is active. And notice this contrast. God has unlimited power, Psalm 68 saying. Psalm 115 saying, but idols are lifeless and useless. And God is saying to us, take your pick. Don't be stupid. Don't worship things that cannot do for you what God can do for you. God demonstrates His power in the Psalms. He also demonstrates His faithfulness. Psalm 77 is a fascinating passage. I've used this a lot of times in funeral services. Because what it does here, it starts out, the first two verses paints a very dark picture. Asaph, 
cries out to God. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. Every one of us has been there in that situation before, where we're crying out to God. Sometimes we're not even knowing what to pray or what to ask Him for. And we're crying out. But notice what Asaph does in the following verses. In verse 3, it says, I remembered you, O God. Verse 6, I remembered my songs in the night. Then he gets back to his confusion in verses 7 through 9. And then in verse 10 through 12, he says this, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. You see what he's doing. He's saying, I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation. It's terrifying to me. It's confusing to me. But God, I've seen what you've done in the past, so you can take care of what I'm dealing with right now. And thus, he brings it to the present, verse 13 and 14. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. So he took his present situation and gave himself hope and encouragement by looking at what God had done in the past, knowing God would do it in the present again. His conclusion was, God, if you can take care of all those situations back then, you can take care of my situation right now. Psalm 98 does almost the same thing. We're not going to turn over there, but the first three verses praises God who saved them in the past. Then the verses 4 through 6, the God who is king in the present, and verses 7 through 9, the God who is coming as judge. God, past, present, future, God can take care of it. So God says to us in the Psalms, can you hear me now? Can you see me now? The Psalms help us know God. But also, secondly, the Psalms help us appreciate the Bible. Three things about the Bible, I think the Psalms, among other things, uh, help us uh, appreciate. And that is, first of all, the Bible's origin, where it came from. Now, we're not going to turn over to Psalm 119, that really a long chapter. But what's striking to me about Psalm 119 is there's 176 verses and 171 of them make a, at least some reference to God's Word. God's law, God's precepts, God's statutes, God's commandments, God's words, God's premises, uh, promises, God's ways, whatever. And it is repeatedly declaring all through one, Psalm 119, 176 verses, the Bible came from God. The Bible came from God. The Bible came from God. <laughs> So we learn in the Psalms the Bible's origin. We also learn in the Psalms the Bible's value. Turn over to Psalm 119. One of the great passages about God speaking through his world, world and through his word. Folks, with all the deception and misinformation and outright dishonesty right now in our news media and social media, as well as outright selective censorship, people don't know what to think or believe anymore. We really don't know what to think or believe anymore. So even when the truth is obvious, people often overlook or miss it. <laughs> kind of like a true story of a first grade teacher wrote, uh, she was from Utah, and she says, as a first grade reading teacher, I had to test the students 
at the beginning of the school year to determine their reading levels. Part of the assessment was having them read a sheet with upper and lower case letters, randomly ordered. One of the students I was testing came to a lowercase m, all right, lowercase m. He looked and looked at it. Finally, he turned to me and said, I've seen that letter on M&Ms, but I don't know what it's called. <laughs> M. <laughs> you know, God must feel the same frustration at times as that teacher as you or I miss or overlook or just ignore his very clear teachings. God must look at us and want to say, it's an M, Tom. It's an M. <laughs> there it is, right there. Psalm 19 contrasts our culture of deception with God's valuable, life-changing word. I want you to notice the adjectives used to describe the Word of God in Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. Okay? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Those adjectives alone ought to be our motivation to read something from the Bible every single day of our life. Because the Bible is perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's radiant, it's pure, it's sure, and it's altogether righteous. It's more precious than gold. It is sweeter than honey. And by those words, you and I are warned about things we need to be warned about in life. So God gives us words that we can trust and follow. And he says, can you hear me now? Do you hear what I'm saying? We also learn from the Psalms, the Bible's consistency. In other words, that it's all one message and it all ties together and it all fits together. The Psalms remind us that all the Bible is connected. It's all one message from God. So often it praises God for historical events that had happened earlier in the Bible. Psalm 78, starting verse 12, talks, it kind of retells the story of the Exodus from Egypt. Psalm 105, a long psalm, tells the story of Joseph, tells the story of Moses, tells the story about the plagues in Egypt. Headings of many of the Psalms refer back to specific events in the life of King David in 1st or 2nd Samuel. The point is it's all one consistent message from God. But the Psalms also prophesied numerous future events. You realize that 116 times the New Testament quotes from the Psalms or shows the fulfillment of things that the Psalms said would happen. 116 times. There are detailed aspects of Jesus' life, and even the burial place of Judas the traitor is prophesied in Psalms. There are vivid predictions of Jesus' resurrection in the book of Psalms. But to me, one of the most absolutely amazing things in the book of Psalms is Psalm 22. Psalm 22 vividly describes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
in minute, grotesque detail as if Jesus himself is describing his own crucifixion. I once preached a sermon from Psalm 22. I may redo it in, later in this series. And I called it the autobiography of a crucified man. It's that vivid that the person who was crucified is writing about the event. And folks, that was written 1,000 years before Jesus died on the cross. And it was written hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented as a form of execution. No one had ever seen a crucifixion at this point. Yet Psalm 22 describes one in detail in Psalm 22. You see, the Psalms help us appreciate, understand, and trust the Bible. So God calls out to you and me from the Psalms, can you hear me now? Can you see my son in the Psalms? Well, thirdly, the Psalms do something else. They help us understand ourselves. There, this is going to be an understatement of the century. Uh, there's a lot of confusion right now in our culture. <laughs> and a lot of that is because of our secular, agenda-driven uh, universities. <laughs> but I did hear a great story out of a college uh, recently. Actually, I'd heard it several years ago, and I read it again, uh, showed up again recently. It's about the college student who had spent a long time, most of the night before, studying for a zoology exam the next day. So he came into the classroom to take his zoology exam, Thought he knew stuff pretty well, but he was horrified when all he saw in front of the classroom was ten stands with ten birds on them, with a sack over each bird and only the legs of the bird showing. The professor announced that the test would be to look at each set of the bird legs and give the common name and the habitat and the biological class of that particular bird. The student looked at the legs but they all looked the same to him. The more he thought about it, the angrier he got about the test, and that, that was going to be the whole test. So finally, he just marches up to the professor's desk, exclaimed, this is a stupid test. How can anyone tell the difference between birds by looking at their legs? He threw his paper on the desk and started to storm out of the room. The class was so big, the professor didn't know everybody's name, so as the student reached the door, the professor said, what's your name? The student said, Guess. I wish I was quick enough to think of stuff like that in those moments. <laughs> Fortunately, God has told us the most important things that we need to know about ourselves in His Word, including who we are. In particular, the Psalms help us understand ourselves, first of all, as God's creation. Psalm 33 is one of my favorite sections of the Psalms. Because in it, it describes in very vivid terms how God created the heavens and the earth. It fleshes out what Genesis 1 says when it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Listen to Psalm 33, 6-9, and notice what this says about us as His creation. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let... Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. 
So folks, that reminds us the same thing Genesis does, that neither the flowers, nor the mountain streams, nor your dog, nor you or I accidentally evolved from a puddle of prehistoric slime. We are part of an incredible handiwork of God, which he initially and intentionally spoke into existence. He spoke it and it happened. Psalm 8, that we're going to look at in two or three weeks, helps us also see the unique role that God has planned for you and me as human beings. Starting at verse 3, the psalmist is just amazed. David's amazed that God made all the heavens and that he actually pays attention to us. Listen to this. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, this is Psalm 8, 3, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. It's a reminder that God, as Genesis 1 tells us, made you and me as human beings in the image of God and gave us sovereignty over the rest of creation, a special role. So God created each of us with purpose and intentionality, and that started the moment of our conception, Psalm 139 says, and we're going to come back to that subject next Sunday in Psalm 139. So God says to us, can you hear me now? when I say how important you are to me in and out of the womb. Can you hear me now? Psalms also help us understand ourselves as finite creatures. In other words, Psalms remind us that we're not going to be here in this life forever. Matter of fact, Psalm 90 really drills that point home. Psalm 90 starts out with two of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the worlds from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There is it starts out saying, God's forever. But we're not. Verse 3, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, those sons of men, for a thousand years are in your, in your sight, or like a day that has just gone by. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. In other words, we're not going to live forever in this life. So verse 12 says, teach us to number our days aright. Psalms reminds us that we're finite creatures. This life is temporary. But there's a third thing God teaches us about ourselves in the Psalms, and that is we understand ourselves as people in a broken world. In a broken world, and it is. Our world is cursed by sin, leading to broken hearts, broken bodies, broken homes, and broken lives. I refer you again to some of the headings of the Psalms that refer to enemies and guilt and adultery and betrayal and wars and affliction and hiding for safety and hiding from assassins. 
Psalm 119 indicates that some of the background they were facing then was shame, scorn, contempt, slander, depression, sorrow, disgrace, suffering, mockery, lies, persecution, tears, and much more. Listen, friends, one of the glorious message, messages of the book of Psalms is that God and His Word offer answers and hope in every single one of those situations. Every single one. It offers us praise and peace in a broken world, and that's why we're calling the series that. So God asks us in the Psalms, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Well, that brings us to the fourth thing that the Psalms do and why we need the Psalms. The Psalms help us understand our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. They remind us of our need for time with Him. Our need for time with God. Me with God, you with God. I want you to listen or read along, starting in Psalm 42. To some of our fellow travelers on this journey called life, as they tell God how deeply they desired to be close to Him. All right, I want you to hear their words. They're in this same messed up world that we're in, this same broken world, and yet they know how important because of that it is to stay close to God. So Psalm 42, they say this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Psalm 63, David prays in another difficult time of life. He says, O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Verse 6, on my bed I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And then a classic verse in Psalm 84.10 where he says, Better it, God is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So how do we handle the struggles and heartaches of this very broken world and very divided country? The same way David did 3,000 years ago. He walked closely with God. God was his number one priority. He knew he could do nothing without the strength of being in the presence of God. And as a result, David once killed a giant. And he overcame numerous other physical and emotional and spiritual challenges because he walked closely with God. Let's cut the arrogant pride that thinks we can do it alone. Because I can't, and you can't, and David couldn't. Here's a question. How differently might you and I handle suffering and stress if we remained that close to God? That close to God. So God asks, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? 
Psalms also help us understand our need to live God's way. Some of the Psalms are intended to warn us. And we often need warned, don't we? One of the most clever warnings I've ever read is by a dad teaching his teenage daughter to drive, so he decided to take out an ad in the local newspaper. So here was his ad in the miscellaneous classifieds in the Stanwood Kamano News in Washington State. It said this, Caution. Homeowners between Warm Beach and Stanwood, daughter will be learning how to drive. Use caution after leaving garage or porch. Farmers advised to place hay bales around barns, farm equipment, slow-moving livestock. She will be driving a white sedan with frightened father aboard. <laughs> Friends, God loves us enough to warn us about things far more dangerous than beginning drivers. So he tells us things very straight in Scripture, and especially in the Psalms. Psalm 119 includes three of the best warnings in Scripture, I think. When it says in verses 9 through 11, it asks a question, How can a young man or woman keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 1, we're going to look at in two Sundays, I think, draws a contrast between doing things God's way and doing things our way, between having the right friends and having the wrong friends. And it says, beware who you're spending time with. God says, live by my standards and my values and principles if you really want to live a fulfilling life. It's one of the messages of the Psalms. But here's the final thing, and it's the most important. The Psalms also help us understand our need for forgiveness. The Psalms deal with so many subjects, but few are more important than this one. Forgiveness is our greatest need, period, since you and I are sinners. Our greatest need is forgiveness. Psalm 51 is a classic. We'll be preaching this in probably five or seven or six or eight weeks from now, I think. Psalm 51 has this heading. A Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. That was the context of his writing Psalm 51. It was after the incident in 2 Samuel 11 when David had lusted, committed adultery, then through deception tried to cover it up, including having the man killed who was her husband. So in 2 Samuel 12, God sent a prophet, Nathan, to David and said, I know what you did. You can hide all you want. You can deceive. You can play games. But I know what you did. David took that seriously. And in Psalm 51, we have his response. David admitted his sin. He took personal responsibility for his sin and did not blame anybody else, verses, one and, or verses 2 and 3. He admitted that it hurt God, verse 4. He acknowledged that sin separates us from God, verse 11. He knows only God can take away our sin, verse 7, 9, and 10. And in verse 17, David repents of that sin. 
Psalm 32 is a similar situation. We don't know what the sin was in that chapter, but David teaches us something about the importance of honesty and confession. David writes in 3 through 5, apparently whatever the sin was on this case, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. In other words, he goes, I was hiding my sin. I would not admit it to myself or to God, and it ate me alive. So he says, verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And that's why he can open the psalm up with these words, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and, whose spirit, and in whose spirit is no deceit. The amazing joy of forgiveness. But forgiveness will never happen, healing will never happen, as long as you and I do not confess what the actual problem is. The Psalms help us understand our broken relationship with God, and they also call us to do something about it. So God asks us, can you hear me now? Tremper Longman III in his book about the book of Psalms says, the Psalms inform our intellect, in other words, mentally, they stimulate our imagination, they arouse our emotions, and they direct our wills. In other words, they prompt us to do something. Folks, we can get our emotions and our thoughts and our brains stirred all we want, but if, we, if it doesn't cause us to do something in response, it's all been a waste of time. So here's the most important thing at the bottom of your page. You and I have only one hope. Our only hope is to listen to God and take refuge in Him. So as we prepare for our time of decision... Look at the words of Psalm 34, 22. It says, The Lord redeems His servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in Him. Did you catch that, my fellow sinners? <laughs> we who have broken the heart of God, we who have disappointed God, we who have sinned against God, we who deserve punishment away from God forever, says the Lord redeems His servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in Him. Now, of course, the New Testament under the New Covenant uh, is more specific about our refuge being in Christ Jesus and all the things related to that. But let me just show you one verse, or two verses, actually, one passage in Galatians 3 that reminds us we can come to God to be our refuge. It says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ clothed yourselves with Christ. You've covered yourselves in the blood of Jesus. And God, when He looks at us now, no longer sees our sin, but He sees our Savior. <laughs> when we trust Him, when we repent, when we confess our need of a Savior, and we confess our sinful condition. I like this old hymn we're getting ready to sing as our time of evaluation and decision and invitation for each of us to look into our own hearts. I need you every hour, God. <laughs> can't do it without you. Can't do these struggles in life. Can't do this divided country without you. Can't do any of this without you. And most of all, I can't save myself. I need you, God. So this morning as we sing this song, I want us to think long and hard about 
our soul and our relationship with God and, and recognize that God during the song was saying, can you hear me now? <laughs> what are you going to do about what you've heard? So let's stand, let's look honestly at our lives and what we need to do, whatever that might be in each of our cases. And it's going to differ from person to person because we're different. We have different aspects of our relationship with God and we have different failings. But we all have the same way back and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's think about it where we're at, where we need to be right now. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, We encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.